Hi everyone, welcome to All Things Creative. This is Linda Riesenberg-Fissler. Welcome back. Glad to have you listening. Uh, I teased yesterday that I was going to do a little bit of um, reading from the book for Free Write. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple paragraphs of the way that I started it out um, initially. And then I'm going to go and read um, the new beginning that may not be the actual beginning of the book, but it'll give you an idea of how the process works that I do. So originally I started the fourth trilogy free write, or the fourth book free write in Moscow, USSR, UK embassy. Neither Sean nor Nicole slept well their first night in their new home, the United Kingdom's embassy in the USSR. It was after eight in the morning when the phone next to their bed rang. When Sean answered, his chief of staff, Colin Stewart, began to speak. He informed Sean that there was a matter of importance to discuss and apologized for waking him. Sean dressed quickly, telling Nicole to come down to the office when she was ready to go to the shooting range to practice with her new present, the Beretta that Sean had given her the night before. Sean walked into the foyer of the residence and was surprised to see that the vase and the roses that Nicole smashed against the wall the previous night had been removed. Puzzled, he looked around the foyer and into the rooms off of it before he exited. He wondered if Nicole had cleaned it up during the night when he dozed off. He wasn't in that deep of sleep, so the movement out of bed would have woken him. He briskly walked to, the, to his office, greeting all he met along the way. He noted the surprise and sometimes embarrassment of the embassy workers when he did so. The whole situation seemed quite strange, as if he expected the staff to be seen and not heard. Good morning, Mr. Stewart, Sean said as he opened the door and walked into his office. Colin Stewart, who was about the same age as Sean, measured about five foot nine inches tall, with jet black hair, fair com complexion, and the bluest eyes, almost like a sapphire. His looks were striking, and to some women, found him irresistible. His dress was impeccable, something he prided himself on, and felt it was part of his job description as the ambassador's chief of staff. Stuart rose to his feet when Sean entered the room, which was the outer office of Sean's office suite. Good morning, sir. Come on in. Sean called as he walked into his office. Stewart picked up his day planner and walked into the inner office, closing the door behind him. Mr. Stewart, there were flowers in the foyer of our residence last night. Do you know anything about them? If I may, sir, please call me Colin or Stu, he requested as he stood in front of the desk, waiting for Sean to sit down. Sean looked at Stewart a bit puzzled. Okay, I think I'd rather like Stu, if you don't mind. No, not at all, sir. About the flowers, Sean started to repeat, but it wasn't necessary. Yes, I don't know the details, but would assume that they were placed there by your chambermaid, Stuart answered. Would you like me to question her about them? We have a chambermaid, Sean asked, surprised. Yes, sir, Stuart answered. She is a Russian, does not live on the embassy grounds. I presume she introduced herself this morning. We haven't seen her, Sean replied. Oh, dear, that won't do. I will make sure that she introduces herself today. Was there something wrong with the flowers? Just who they were from, Sean's voice trailed off. He was already wondering if this Russian chambermaid was an informant for the serpent. I'd like to see her file as soon as possible. Now, actually. And you may want to call up to the residence and warn Nicole that we have a chambermaid. She looked at Stuart, 
Sean looked at Stuart when he didn't move. How do I call the residents? Sean reached over, picked up the receiver, and dialed three digits. The phone rang, and when Nicole picked it up, Stuart said, Ambassador Atkins for you, ma'am. He handed the phone to Sean. Sean looked at Stuart, puzzled, and at Stuart's actions. He could hear Nicole snickering. Thank you, Stu. He put the phone to his ear and spoke, puzzlement ev evident in his voice. Nicole, I wanted to let you know we have a chambermaid. Don't be alarmed if you happen to run into her. He smiled when he heard Nicole give another laugh. Seriously, you have to have Stuart call me? <laughs> Nicole's responded. And a chambermaid? Really? We need a chambermaid? Sean ignored her question, deciding to answer with a flippant response. Welcome to Embassy Life. I'll see you in a few minutes. He hung up the phone. He returned his look, at, look to Stuart, who was still standing there. He motioned for, them, for him to sit, but Stuart didn't move. You have no idea how the flowers got to the foyer. They were presumably delivered to the front gate. One of the guards must have called for the chambermaid to retrieve them. That's the customary approach for deliveries like that. Stuart was becoming suspicious. He asked a second time, was there a problem with the flowers, sir? It's a long story, Sue. Stu. Sean began, I'm afraid that the sender is someone that neither Nicole nor I would like to hear from again. In her anger, Nicole broke the antique vase. I suppose I'll have to pay for that. While that is unfortunate, I suggest that we don't bring that up, Stuart smiled. I will do some quiet checking to see if it was on loan, but my gut feeling is that it was not. If that is a concern, sir, I wouldn't let it bother you. The former ambassador's wife had a habit of breaking quite a lot of things. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. So you can see that the first opening that I had of the book is very, um, you know, this is what's happening at the embassy. Sean's trying to fit in. Um, it's kind of setting the stage for uh, the continued strife between the serpent, Nicole, and Sean. All very well. All would work. So again, I haven't really decided that this opening that I've changed it to will actually be the opening. Uh, but I do like this one a little bit better. So the book opening in Moscow, USSR, January 1981. Colonel Dmitry Lesnikov, a former field agent of the KGB, was looking out his office window in the Kremlin. The only window in his office provided a view of the bullpen of workers under his command. While others were scurrying to spruce up their desks and office space, Lesnikov, a jovial 53-year-old former engineer turned spy, yearned for his days back in Montreal. His daydream was interrupted when one of his men approached with a new stack of papers for Lesnikov to review. As the cleanup task continued, the stack continued to grow. Beyond the bullpen were solid white doors that led to various laboratories. He made a mental note to visit each lab for inspection before President Brezhnev arrived. Lesnikov leaned out the door and shouted a few more instructions, keeping his smile to himself as he watched the men become even more frantic. He could not appear to be too cordial with the men under his command. Lesnikov walked back to his desk and he sat down in front of his, sat down in his comfortable leather chair. His mind wandered back in time a few years earlier when he was recalled from his field work and ushered into the pull-up bureau. Brezhnev and Lesnikov were friends long before Brezhnev's rise to power. They remained allies to this day, Lesnikov bowing to his friend that he had his back always. 
Lesnikov was a key player in Brezhnev's rise to power in the 1970s. Each year, Brezhnev managed to accrue more power despite his ill health. In 1977, Lesnikov recalled the day Brezhnev moved Pogorny as president, removed Podgorny as president, becoming the top man in the Communist Party as well as the Soviet Union's ceremonial leader. Brezhnev's rise to power did not come from bullying, as some may predispose. No, it came from lobbying and the political prowess of the thinking man. Brezhnev knew how to make the Politburo his ally, even during the most arduous times. It was 1971, and the USSR, led by Brezhnev, accepted a detente with the United States, represented by President Richard Nixon. The USSR is economy stalled from the isolation that the leaders before Brezhnev hailed as the means for their country's success was, in fact, becoming the West's best weapon to undermine communism. However, in the 70s, fear of the USSR's nuclear capabilities were overreaching at best, exaggerated at worst by the U.S. government. The two countries signed a detente as a way for the Soviet-American relations to control the rhetoric of nuclear war and, pres and present calm, cool-headed leadership to the rest of the world. Little did the United States realize at the time that this detente only confirmed the perception that the rest of the world, to the rest of the world, that these two nations equally possessed the mean to obliterate each other, a fact most hope would deter the other from pushing the button. Lesnikov remembered sitting in the room with his fellow Politburo members and listening to Brezhnev, Brezhnev convince them that detente was necessary. This quote, we communists, Brezhnev began, have to string along with the capitalists for a while. We need their credits, their agriculture, their technology, but we are going to continue massive military programs, and by the middle of the 1980s, we will be in a position to return to a much more aggressive foreign policy designed to gain the upper hand in our relationship with the West. Cheers and applause rose as Brezhnev emphasized the latter part of the sentence. Detente proved to be the shot in the arm the Soviets needed. The GRU and the KGB was set to pounce on every opportunity that had to steal, they had to steal the free enterprise systems of the West, particularly the United States. Lesnikov smiled as he recalled the many different ways during the 1970s the Soviets capitalized, pun intended, on the openness of the United States businesses to share their science and technology advancements. It was no secret to the Soviet leaders. <clears throat> Let's try that again. <laughs> it was no secret to the Soviet leaders that they trailed the West in computers and microelectronics by more than a decade. The winds of detente, uh, the winds of the detente agreement started in 1970, and that was precisely when the Council of Ministers and the Central Committee established a new unit. The unit was led by Dmitry Lasnikov. It's known as the Directorate T of the KGB's first chief directorate. Its mission was to penetrate the research and development programs of the Western economies. There were more participants in the Directorate T program involving many factions of the Kremlin. The State Committee of Science and Technology, the Military Industrial Commission, Military Intelligence, GRU, the Soviet Academy of Sciences, and the Soviet Committee for External Relations supplied Director T with its collection of requirements. Lasnikov's area, known as Line X, was the Directorate T's operating arm. 
Lesnikov provide, oops, Lesnikov prided himself on his genius for collecting the information the Soviets needed to draw even and then surpass the West in science and technology. Detente provided new ways to exploit the West. Lesnikov smiled when he recalled creative ways they collected their information. Delegations of Soviet specialists traveled to the United States to visit firms and laboratories associated with their commissions. So I'm going to stop there because I think that gets a little bit of the point um, out that I that I want to talk about. So the first one, the first little teaser that I read starts us off in the UK, the embassy. It's familiar. You probably all did not notice, but the first three books that I did, um, Blind Influence, Blind Persuasion, and Blind Alliance, all start out with Sean. Go back and look if you don't believe me. They all start out with Sean. So the second book, the second part of the trilogy, the book four, I'm questioning, I'm asking myself in book four, five, and six, do I want to start with Sean? who is with Nicole, who is my protagonist. Do I want to start there or with this take teaser that I just finished, do I want to start with Lesnikov and what he's doing in the KGB? And the reason why I'm having that is because part of what Lesnikov is doing is a big part of what is going to pull the three book trilogy, these next three books, four, five, and six together. So how do I want to start those books it becomes very, very important. Do I want to start it with you get to know Dmitry Lasnikov and Vladimir Velasky, who are two of the Russian um, characters that are coming into this? Or do we want to stay familiar and find out what Sean and Nicole are up to? Now, granted, we're talking about two different scenes at the beginning of this book. So they're both going to be, both of these scenes are going to be in chapter one. So, and there probably was maybe four or five more paragraphs to the second one that I read, where the Sean and Nicole scene goes on for a couple more pages. So this is just kind of a real quick setup that gets you start thinking, oh, where are we going to go with this? What, what, what happened with the detente that we don't know about? Um, can I... And can I or will I tie the opening of this book to the first plot point? Uh, or will it be tied to the second plot point? Or will it be tied to something that happens in the second book? So um, those are all questions that, that I'm asking and then deciding which one I'm going to do. So um, that's pretty much all for today. Uh, happy Tuesday teasers with the, the two different scenes. Um, Hope that, that, that you found them interesting. Uh, that's pretty much all I have for right now. So we will talk to you on Wednesday and uh, hope that your Tuesday is a great day. Thanks, everyone. Bye.